Hello, I'm Kenny Smith, and this is The Best Story I've Heard Today, a podcast for news junkies. We know you can't possibly see all of the great content being produced, so we're bringing you a story that you might have otherwise overlooked. Our guests each day tell us about the best story they've found today, and today we're pleased to welcome back to the program Spencer Elliott, who is a digital producer at USA Today Networks. Spencer, thanks for joining us again. Always a pleasure, Kenny. Tell us about the story you found today, and tell us why we should read into it as well. Well, let me start this way, Kenny. You used to work in Birmingham, correct? That's right. So you're probably familiar with something called Milo Sweet Tea. I have some in my office right now. Right. You can get this all over the nation now, I think. They sell it at Walmart and stuff. That's right. Certainly, I see a big case of it every time I walk into a Kroger here in Nashville. Um, But Milo's Tea is made right outside of Birmingham, Alabama, in a town called Bessemer. And all the time you spend in Alabama, how many tea plantations do you think you ever saw, Kenny? Actual plantations? Probably very few. Right. So they don't make a lot of tea. They don't grow a lot of tea in Alabama. Most of the tea that goes into Milo's tea comes from South American India. Mm-hmm. But if you were to go to a store in Alabama and buy some Milo's sweet tea, there's a chance there would be a big sign on that display that said, Buy Alabama's Best. Buy Alabama's Best is a state-funded branding program for local food products. Mm -hmm. Um, Forty-five states have these food branding programs. Um, But the story I want to talk to about today, um, which comes from uh, the USA Today Network and specifically Robert Anglin from the Arizona Republic, is about how these buy-local-food programs deceive consumers and are rarely enforced, which is the headline on the story today. Okay, so I I can shop local. But am I really shopping local? That's the gist of things, right? Yeah. So, again, lots and lots of states have these programs, which essentially brands foods as local foods. And most of them are uh, supported through state departments of agriculture. Um, They get some taxpayer money, sometimes some membership fees. It varies by state. Um, But all of them are trying to sell you on these are local products that you should buy. But actually very few of them have any kind of oversight. And lots of them actually have no minimum requirements for the amount of locally grown ingredients that go into those products that they say are local. So you say trying to sell me on. This is beginning to sound like a marketing thing. Um, It is. And, you know, if you talk to most of these people, according to this reporting, who are involved with these programs, they're pretty upfront about that. You know, this is about supporting local businesses by getting you to buy those products by marketing them as local. They would generally say they're not trying to trick you, but on the consumer-facing side, you know, that's kind of a hard sell when you walk down the grocery store aisle and you see one product that has, you know, Tennessee Proud on it or, you know, Buy Alabama's Best. You're thinking that came from this state, but in a lot of cases, it was maybe just processed in the state, it was packaged in the state. Or maybe the state just happens to have their headquarters here and it's made elsewhere. What does that mean for me as a consumer then? Um, Well, it means, you know, if you are really interested in buying local, you have to think about these things beyond just looking at that little mark that might be on uh, the package of your food product. The story um, from the Arizona Republic uses the example of, you know, coffee beans in Utah. Well, coffee doesn't grow in Utah. You know, obviously they get that from other countries, yet these are marketed as local coffee beans because they're imported and then roasted and packaged there. And you know what? If you buy those coffee beans, you are supporting a local business. 
someone is doing that roasting and selling it who is based in Utah, but you're not getting, you know, coffee beans from Utah. There's a lot of reasons for that too, right? There's, you know, uh, marketing and there's a brand specific positioning for certain types of of products. There's interstate commerce and refrigeration has allowed that transcontinental shipping. These are things we learned about in social studies. That's a thing now. But also just the the ebb and flow of the way companies are bought and sold now in terms of uh, this once local thing might now be owned by a huge conglomerate and is no longer really done in the hometown place, but perhaps across the country. Yeah, that's quite right. Last summer, we went on a little whiskey tasting tour here in Tennessee, um, and we went to the George Dickel Distillery, which is tucked away in this small hollow in the middle Tennessee, and, you know, it's a very old-school operation there and everything. But, you know, if you want to trace that up, that's ultimately owned by a giant worldwide liquor conglomerate. Um, So while things may, you know, that is a Tennessee product, they distill it right down there in Tullahoma, Tennessee, but, you know, ultimately that is owned by a giant multinational corporation. And I should say, you know, not all the things that are done through these state marketing programs are, you know, deceptive. Um, we wrote at the Tennessean, or I should say not the Tennessean, but the Memphis Commercial Appeal, our food writer Jennifer Biggs over there. Um, she wrote about uh, Alan Benton, who owns Benton's Smoky Mountain Country Hams which has gotten reasonably famous in food circles in recent years for its bacon and ham. And uh, it's used at fine restaurants and stuff like that. And Alan Benton, uh, the proprietor over there, has given this program in Tennessee, which is called Pick Tennessee, a lot of credit for helping him connect with buyers for his products in a way, in the kind of business development aspect of this. So that's, you know, an actually locally owned business that's doing better through this program because its products are getting to buyers. And a lot of times we're shopping with ethos and pathos involved. Let's talk about logos for just a second here. Let's talk about the logical aspect of this. Are there any legal ramifications? Um, Not particularly. You know, when you want to market things, there's a lot of kind of squishy room here. So some of the numbers they reported in the story were 18 states, including my state of Tennessee, your state of Indiana, Alabama, which we mentioned at the top of the show. None of those set any minimum requirement on the number or the percentage of locally grown ingredients in a product. And 36 of those states have no formal annual review process to check whether companies are following the rules of these branding programs. But, you know, these are just participation in voluntary marketing efforts. So I don't think the FDA or the Commerce Department or anybody is going to come crack down and say Milo's tea isn't actually Alabama's best because, you know, the tea was actually grown in India. Let's talk about this in that squishy area you mentioned. Let's talk about this in a ethical sense. If if I'm just marketing my product underneath uh, my state banner, What's to keep me from doing that in terms of saying that all of these products are organic, that they are green and sustainable operations, that they are any number of other things up to and including perhaps the allergen ingredients? If I can lie on one part of my label as a company, why couldn't I do that elsewhere? Well, I think um, you see this a lot with things that are marketed as organic or somehow green, but you know there aren't actually established regulatory standards for these kinds of things. 
which is also the case that they point out in the story with defining something as local. There's actually a study done at the University of Minnesota Extension that concluded that there is no professional or academic consensus on what constitutes local food. What might be organic food in one sense, you know, can get that label. You know, you can go to Walmart today and buy all sorts of things that say organic on them. What that means as opposed to what organic means when you go down to the farmer's market or to the health food store or wherever else, that's up for debate. I think maybe you see kind of a regulatory void here where we are marketed certain things that people know they want, you know, like local food or organic food, but those things aren't well defined. And in fact, that is the real reason behind these state branding programs, as this uh, story that we're talking about points out. All of these state branding programs, or most of them, will point you back to a U.S. Department of Agriculture study um, that found that sales of what is called termed local food increased from $1.2 billion or increased to $1.2 billion in 2007 from just $511 million in 1997. A food industry research firm recently did a study saying that local food sales are projected to reach $20 billion by 2019. So you can bet that the reason behind all these state branding efforts is people want a piece of that pie. It's a very big piece indeed. The articles we've been talking about with Spencer today include one titled Buy Local, Food Programs Deceive Consumers and Are Rarely Enforced, a USA Today Network investigation finds. And he's also brought to our attention one from the commercial appeal, which is titled What You're Really Getting When You Pick Tennessee Products. We've got links to those stories and to Spencer Elliott below the audio player. Please do check those out. Spencer, thanks again for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for having me, Kenny. This is the best story I've heard today. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll share it with others locally and far away. Thanks for listening. We look forward to sharing stories with you again very soon. I'm Kenny Smith.